You're listening to the NCF&B Podcast. Tell your friends to find us on iTunes at NCF Ampersand B Podcast. And remember, the ampersand is simply shift the number seven on your keyboard. And share our website, ncfbpodcast.com. There you'll find pictures, show notes between shows, and links to content where we've discussed on each episode. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ncfbpod. This show is sponsored by Food Scene. That's food-seen.com. Providing professional photography, social media management, website design, and graphic design services for the food and beverage industries of North Carolina. Foodscene.com. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, and thank you for listening to the NCF&B Podcast. I am your co-host, Max Trujillo. And I am your co-host, Matthew Weiss. Sit back, everybody, because this man needs a large introduction. So I know him and refer to him as Guarav the Suave. But you might know him as the owner and founder of Echelon Experiences, the owner and founder and partner of the upcoming Social House Vodka. And a lot of you might know him as the NC. RLA 2017 Restaurateur of the Year, simply Mr. G. Patel. Woo! Welcome. Jeez. That was a hell of a a a intro. I need need some wine now. (laughs) Well, that's the show. All right. See you, everybody. Thank you. G, thank you very much. No, no, it's a pleasure having you in. Um, We were just kind of figuring out, like, how how, uh, you came to be now sitting at our our humble little abode studio, and um, it's kind of fun. I think we just... You're a... You're a person in this business, it, multifaceted, as Matt just pointed out in so many ways. Um, and if you've lived in this town for as short as that, even Matt's lived here for less than a year, you're going to meet G. Patel at some point. Yep. Yeah, it's it's difficult to miss a six foot five Indian guy in this town. <laughs> who, <laughs> there's who, there's who, not that many of us out here who is dressed rather suavely and debonair. And, I try. Yeah, and you know I like that. It's it's really interesting because last week we had uh, and this it, we had Chidi Kumar, so uh, two people of Indian descent in the yep. uh, consecutively, and it's really amazing because. She brought this up that, especially in this area, you know, it's kind of the stigma of, well, in people of Indian descent, they go into the medical profession or some, some sort of science, and they aren't necessarily associated with music and restaurants and hospitality and, you know, all of this. So Kind of break convention a little bit. Yeah, break convention. And you, uh, not only did you, did you not grow up here, you were literally in India in a small village until you were 10. Yep, that's correct. Um, you know, growing up... Uh, and, Gosh, it's it's so it's so interesting. People's like, how'd you end up here? Well, the first they asked us like, so where'd you live? I'm like Morehead City. And then their face just lights up like Morehead City, right? And they think <laughs> I come from this big, you know, Shanghai type of town, or just fly in. And I'm like, I grew up in a village of 150 people, you know. Wow. And I was telling you earlier. I mean, we literally cow the milks before we got fed the milk. So my mother would go milk the cow. Oh yeah. wow. You have such a rich upbringing. I mean, uh, and, and I know we're going to get into your work ethic and how you run your company now, but I think one of the obvious telltale signs, just to set the basis for everything, is that you, uh, it said that literally had to, were given a plot of land 
and mm-hmm. said, grow these crops, and these crops will then yield you money for school supplies. That's absolutely correct. So, I mean, obviously, ag is a big part uh, where we grew up. You know, my father was a farmer. Um, you know, he would wake up before the sunrise, and he would come after the sunset. Um, and it's long days, long hours, but uh, you're talking about, you know, 10-mile radius of just farmland where everybody just farmed. Oh, yeah. Ag was big. Um, what kind of stuff did you grow there? Um, sugar cane, uh, rice, um, peas. Yeah. bananas um mangoes uh so I, I still remember actually working on the farmland pretty diverse the toughest one was, yeah the toughest one was sugar canes because i mean you talk you think paper cuts hurt <laughs> hey <laughs> Try look, cutting sugar cane you I see bet. my new plant i have over here it's, it's from the cane family does this make you feel comfortable yeah, i feel like i'm back at home yeah can you, can you cultivate that <laughs> <Yeah>. possibly possibly <laughs> So, uh, okay, so you're growing up, you're learning about agriculture, you're living a pretty uh, modest and, like, a simple lifestyle, if you will? Um, I guess you could say that. I mean, it's difficult to paint a picture uh, without really visioning I mean, I'll share some pictures with you later. But, um, I mean, mind you, at that time when growing up, power was not there. Running water is a luxury. Mm. Um <laughs> There's no school buses that come pick you up. You walk to school, then you walk back for lunch, and God forbid if you have to go number two, you got to go back home. <laughs> the, they don't have the double flush toilet. Yeah, yeah the dual flush or, or uh, no, uh, you're, and you're wiping with banana leaves. That's right. And I mean, this is uh, and you're not talking about you know you're going ten blocks down. You're talking about a couple of miles each way. You know, and, and right. You, and it's you, not like you're 75 years old and we're talking about what happened 60 years ago. This is recent. This yeah, is you're a young guy. And it's still current. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is still kind of probably yeah, the way it is. This was less than 20 years ago. Right. You know? um, granted, I mean, everything is, it's, it's changed so drastically and things are up and up, right? But my parts of it, it still has that heritage and the, the way it is. You know? So what's that like then uh, at the, you know, st- not so young. I mean, you're already quite formative. Language has started to set in by the time you're 10. Sure. I think up to 11, your tongue can still like flex to make other languages. So you, cause you obviously speak English without an accent, which is pretty impressive. But. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to still be, um, bilingual or mm-hmm. quadrilingual. I mean, however many you want to throw on there, but you know, growing up, uh, they didn't. They don't. They don't teach the English language or even the ABCs um, in those smaller rural villages, right? I mean, it's English is very prevalent in other parts of the world, um, but ABCs don't come until about seventh or eighth grade. So, really? Yeah. So I moved when I moved here. I'm like, it's like imagine being a mute and you can't really hear. You can't understand anybody, and you, you can't even read, right? Uh, so learning that—that's yeah, got to be challenging. Yeah, and I think if you if you're able to move here between the before eighth grade, I yeah. think then that's that at that point, what you will find a lot of uh, in, individuals who are from Indian descent, they'll have that accent, and also you know my accent, even if I had any, got covered up by a little bit growing up in Carter County. You know? <laughs> Y'all, you twang a little <laughs> that's bit. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, at, yeah, what was the impetus for your parents to move? They had some family in Moorhead City running coastal motels. Yep. So, um, uh, you know we're we're very fortunate. My uncle had moved here in the early 70s, and there, there's a process called visa uh, visa call process where you can apply for your immediate family to come join you, which was, you know, my uh, uncle had filed for my mother, was their immediate sister, back in 80, early 80s. And obviously, she got married, had us, and that's how we were fortunate enough to be able to move here. Oh, nice. 
And so, um, so you're living on on the coast. So this is a, now when you were back in India, what was the landscape there? Were you coastal? Were you uh, central west? This is central. again, it's just flat farmland. Just farmland. There's nothing there. There's no ocean. There's no mountains. It's just so even farmland. for you then moving out here, just the United States, just in general, was a completely different uh, culture shock. Even just in the uh, sense, this that, is oasis, man. I mean, right. like, oh my god, it's like I mean, you don't realize it until you reflect back on how fortunate you were to actually be able to relocate your entire family from India to here. Um, and, you know, at that time when we were moving, I was like, why are we moving? It's like, mom's like, they have better candy there. I'm like, sounds great. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> pack right, a, that's pack everything in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> you can judge a, a nation by its desserts. The, that's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So we stopped over in England. We spent about a month in England because we had family there. And I'm like, why do we need to go to America? They have a lot better. I mean, yeah. I, mean I don't need any more candy than this. I mean, England's obviously known for its sweet tea. You know? Sure. Yeah, they got Haribo there. Yeah. So, well, so then, yeah, you grow up with your family. You're, uh, and you learn a sense of hospitality, I guess, from working in the motels there. And from what I read, a, a, a real attention to detail in terms of where everything is placed in the motels and you're helping clean and stuff like that. Yeah, I think, you know, most people are like possibly you know have that um, ADD they're born with it I think ours were developed yeah. <laughs> by working in it because I mean it, it was it was very specific on how everything had to be um, you know growing up my uncle had a when we moved he had a 20 room hotel so gosh how many of us I think it was uh, four eight there's about 12 of us living in two bedrooms wow. um, at that time and then he had brought another hotel and had locks and my parents worked there but you know obviously the first hotel was independent. The other one was a franchise. But, you know, weekdays we went to school. Weekends we would go help out. Gotcha. Uh, help out the family. So definitely um, I was groomed in the hospitality business um, <clears throat> from, you know, renting rooms to cleaning them to just see how everything worked. And yeah. the workings of the business, right? That's cool. And then cut to, so you get a pretty decent education out there on the coast. And then you go to NC State and find Raleigh. Yeah, uh, I mean, even even back to Moorhead. I mean, I I I really truly still love Moorhead, um, the culture, and just it, it was so awesome. And I remember people was like, "How did you learn English?" I'm like, "Well, Sesame Street, just like how all the kids do." <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> mind you, you know, you're in fifth grade. Everybody's uh, learning. Uh, have to do I mean I guess learning history and science and I'm sitting outside watching Sesame Street which is I mean not, no complaints about it you, know? you hear that public broadcasting is actually important to there everybody it is absolutely. maybe we should fund it sorry I'm, oh, I, get absolutely. A, I get a little upset sometimes when I think about the, the thought of just taking away funding for public broadcasting because something as simple as that is so helpful to the youth and everybody kind of moving forward Absolutely. I can't wait for the, but, you know, I have a 10 month old at home and I just got the notification today because I downloaded a YouTube uh, Sesame Street video or something like that. And now I'm like subscribed to the channel. Yeah. So I can't wait to the day when he's like really into the Sesame Street because now he just won't stop. But yeah, <laughs> Sesame Street, he's going to be, he's going to be mean, a genius. Is, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Don't worry, Matt. There'll be a time where you're, you'll be over it. <laughs> I'm sure. They almost get old. Elmo. Okay, Elmo. Just let's oh, go man. put Elmo in another room. I mean, the, some of those cartoons, you, like you literally, if you take t- two steps back and you really watch it, I'm like, man, this is some weird. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, like, but your kids are just like glued to it, and you're like, I don't know what they see in this, but maybe like this guy, um, Mr. Noodle. I'm like, oh, yeah. what was he doing, Mr. Yeah. Noodle? Well, I love, around I love uh, about something. What was it? I think it was Jim Henson that was quoted when when somebody was trying to say that Bert and Ernie were uh, 
you know, a gay couple living together. That was the whole thing. He goes, well, that's impossible. And they're like, why? It's like, because they're puppets. <laughs> and they go, no, but they're two men living together. He's like, no, they're pieces of fabric and they don't have sexual organs. They're just two puppets. And so interpret that however what? you want. Yeah. No! <laughs> I just love the, so like the, the literal of it. It's like, yeah, we, we had no agenda. We just put these puppets together and let them play. That's it. Like, let's not think too hard. Yeah. Anyhow. So you, uh, so you do, you grow up, you're a teenager, you, you eventually make it to NC State. Was this full ride scholarship? How'd this go? Ooh, yeah, I wish. I mean, that would have been awesome if that was the case. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously my parents, uh, they were working at, you know, minimum, next to a minimum wage uh, rate, and I, I knew that we didn't have that kind of money to go to college. So knowing that i had to kind of think about okay well how how is this going to work um so at that time networking was really big and you know being indian you're like shit i can get to engineering i mean the rest of the other guys do it why not <laughs> sure yeah. doctor i didn't I definitely didn't want to go that route right. um so i'm like we're all going to computer science so during high school uh, i started taking courses at the community college to get my certification for ccna which was a network administrator it's like oh, i'll go work part-time at cisco you know, pay my way through college, you know, how hard can this be? Sure. Um, well, sure enough, the market crashes in 2001. So you're like, well, kind of screwed out of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I ended up going to Wake Tech. Um, let's go to Wake Tech. Um, I got three jobs. I'm bussing tables at Sweet Tomatoes, working at Structure at that time. Yeah. Structure, nice. Yeah. No wonder where you got your style. That's from. right. Yeah. yeah. They taught me everything I know. Yeah. I worked at DJs. That was the, that was the competitor. DJs? Didn't you remember DJs? D E J A I Z. Maybe it was a West Coast thing, but yeah. Yeah, we had we had structure here. <laughs> yeah, which um, which then morphed into the Express Express, Express, Express right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So then I was doing that, and I was uh, helping uh, Sweet Tomatoes do some offsite catering, and whatnot. And then you're like, uh, trying to go to school, three jobs. Yeah, I'm gonna kill myself. This is no way this is gonna happen. Wait, what was the third job? Structure, sweet tomatoes, and, and then actually doing offsite catering oh, for sweet tomatoes. Catering. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. So, because uh, they just kind of pretty much outsourced that, they didn't take the same servers who were serving tables. Gotcha. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, well, what can I do next? I mean, and then you start. You know, obviously, everybody has dorm room parties and apartment parties and whatnot. And I guess in hindsight, when you look back, one of the things that I never, I didn't stay in the dorm because I was going to Wake Tech, so I didn't have to because first year university, when you go to state, you have to stay in the dorm. So obviously, you would always have people over and partying and so on and so forth. So I'm like, this is pretty cool. So then I like, let's do a big party. And next thing you know, you have 200 people, 300 people at that apartment. It's like, ah, this is not going to work for a long term. So then that's when I launched my first company, which is Cloud9 Entertainment. And what I'll do is just essentially rent out venues on off nights like on a wednesday or thursday and just do my marketing skills you know literally 11 by 17 posters you know and then, and then those card uh, card style posters just pass them all out and then and you were showed up. what like 17? 20 how old were you oh, this 17. Is 17 17 <laughs> holy cow so the so, entrepreneurial spirit was very strong at a young age yeah like age of i would say probably four because i was still remember i was still selling uh the crops that we produced yeah yeah for my materials for school um, you think that's a nature versus nurture thing like it, or you think it was nurtured in or a combination of both like your dad said here is your plot do what you want with it and uh, you just ran? well actually the plot was a school's lot that's okay school's school plot um but i you know honestly it, it, when you go back and really think about 
life in general, right? I'm not trying to get too deep here because we still got wine in front of us. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, it's in that, that saying survival of the fittest, right? Yeah. It still exists. Um, and kind of growing up in the the circumstances that we had, you don't ever want to see, you don't want to put yourself in that position, right? So you constantly, you, you push yourself. You, that, I mean, that's what kind of creates drive in my opinion. Yeah. Right? Um, and there's a single scene, I think I've told this to so many people that I ran, or ran into and talk about, you know, how did you come to be? But if you've seen the movie 300, mm-hmm. right? And then- Great the kid, abs. The, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, what? I, I lost those. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a scene where the, where the kid's sent out in, in, in dry lands, and then he's, he literally battles that, uh, the, I guess, whatever that animal is. I think it was a tiger or was a wolf. I don't know what it was. Yeah. And you're like, you know, you, you do what you have to do to survive. Yeah, fight or flight. That's it. Yeah. So so you could also be known as uh, King Leonidas. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. So let's, let's push a little forward. So now you've got, you're doing the club thing or you're promoting uh, individual nights. Um, how do we get from there? To where you first started, uh, I believe Mira was your first restaurant. No, actually, restaurant. I had a nightclub. Uh, that was my oh, first wow. thing. Okay. Um, so seventeen between seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, I do events. I go from specifically because the demog- the Indian and the Asian demographic was really large, right? You take out NC State, you take UNC, you take um, Duke <clears throat> together. I mean, that's that's a pretty big cluster. Yeah. So I was mainly focused on the Asian demographics when I was doing events, and then after that. Um, the dollars were a lot larger in urban events because at the door you could charge a lot more if you had specific nights that were focused. So then I was like, okay, well, I took that and then I was like, well, how can I elevate that even more? <clears throat> and I started, my first big event I did was Ludacris. So Ludacris was coming here for homecoming and I was like, well, I got in touch with this uh, market or his manager and it's like, all right, I want to do his post event. So I did Ludacris, then I did Earth, Wind, Fire, then we tried to do uh, Usher. And then wow. the, after I did Prince, I was like, all right, it's not going to get any better. So I hung my belt. <laughs> you like, had Prince? Yeah. <laughs> at an event. Awesome. That's really was, cool. Uh, was, uh, I think I was 19 at that time, 19, 20, maybe. Holy cow. That's so amazing. took that backpack full of money and I was like, all right, well, what's next? All right. So I was like, oh, I figured I have to, I understood the inner workings of the nightclub. So then I had a little bit of money saved over. I talked to my dad, talked to my uncle. I was like, I think I'm going to open a nightclub. You know, mind you, I'm not even legal enough to drink at this point. Yeah. <laughs> that like sounds good. Put it on paper, and we'll we'll look. We'll help you look at it. So, uh, and that's I think one of the best things that I've had such a good support system uh, growing up. Uh, my uncle to my dad, my mom, and everybody kind of. It's never been all no, you can't do this or no, you can't do that, um, because I, I put on the big boy pants at the age of you know fifteen, sixteen, and kind of go out and figure out, do it on your own. Um, <clears throat> and then again, didn't I knew I didn't know exactly what it would take. Yeah. But I told my dad, told my uncle, I was like, hey, I, I need to help get some money together to do this. So when, until I think 18 different fr- friends and family ended up raising about $86,000. Wow. So I took that 86 and then I found a matching partner. Just like, hey, I have 86, you put up 86, but I'll put in the sweat equity. Mm-hmm. Sure. And now you're talking about more than $150,000. Now somebody, even who's a developer or a landlord, you look at a kid who's not 21, who's got 150 sitting around, like, Sure, I'll give you a shot. Yeah, right? yeah. We go there with ten thousand. Like, yeah, kid, the next same. one. You know, He's not yeah. some brat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, and then I get the the guy to put in uh, additional one hundred and fifty. Now you have some money. You can actually develop a plan. Yeah. So I took an old. Uh, at that time, it was called. I mean, a long time it was called Five O. Then Five O was a bar on Hillsborough Street across the library. 
but it had pretty much been condemned. It had been sitting vacant for about six or seven years. So the bones were there, but the aesthetics need to kind of be brought up to code. So yeah. me, my mom, my dad, and a few of my friends would kind of put you know, our gloves on and went to work. And it took me about a year to build that place and get up and running. So to got a, that was our first nightclub. You know? uh, nice. It was called Mondrie Lounge. Um, I ran that for about a year and a half, exited. And then in the same meantime, we transitioned to buying Mira. Right, in North Hills. That's, North Hills. Yeah. And I, I want to get there, but I read something, and I, just to give the people a perspective, there's a lot of ebbs and flows to a business and a career like yourself, and it wasn't all roses, obviously. Oh, like, my God. There was a $30,000 <laughs> debacle that where that was lost in some uh, in some translation with one of those things, and um, then you managed to build yeah, that money back? that was Usher. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, Usher owes you $30,000? Get him on the phone, Usher's Max. mother does. Oh, <laughs> even better. Well, because, I mean, she was the managing agent at that time. And, and you know, you're 16, 17. No, you're not taught how to lead, read legal letters and know how to exactly execute contracts. Sure. Like, yeah, sure, you need $30,000. Here, I'll, we'll wire it to you. Yeah. Sorry, we canceled. And when we cancel an event, we cancel. We don't get your deposit back. I'm like, what the? Mm. <laughs> You, oh, we're not man. we're not terrestrial yeah. radio. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Oh, shit, cockball. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, now settle down. We were being so, so yeah. Polite. I mean, mind you, I mean, so you like the whole world's <laughs> ending at this point. You're 18 years old. You lost. I mean, everything that you had and that you worked wow. so hard for. That'd have been you know? devastating. But then you, yeah, you get back up. That's... You get back up. I mean, I, I think that's the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Yeah. You, know, you just got to You're gonna have setbacks. There's gonna you're gonna make mistakes and. One of the things I, I love to do is mentor younger minds. I'm like, listen, if I can just save you from making one of the mistakes I made, I feel like I've done my job, mm. right? Um, so being involved in at NC State and being involved uh, with Broughton High School, um, that that's where I really get my inner joy from, right? I mean, if I can help you kind of deviate that path and shorten it for you and not make that mistake, uh, I think that's just being a good human. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It just I was just thinking about how you and I first met and it's it, things get pulled around. It's funny. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but the first time we met was actually at Person Street Bar yep. or in the back area, which is, it? yeah, uh, you know, in the same uh, district, same block as uh, Standard Foods where I'm working now. And I believe my wife and I were having dinner at Standard and we finished for cocktails over at Person Street. And I kind of knew who you were and I saw you, I walked in and I was like, I'm going to go introduce myself to G8. That's a guy I should know. And so uh, we were chatting and I'd say it took all of about 20 minutes to the point where we just started, we, uh, Christmas was coming up and something was happening and we both agreed to uh, swap restaurants for, uh, for a Christmas party. Yeah. Like, sounds and, great. Yeah. It was like, it didn't take long and it just, you know, now in hindsight and hearing even just this much of your story, uh, you're kind of up for whatever and your brain is like prepared to, uh, just make things happen and, yeah. and just like, Hey, let's just, let's just do this. Cause I don't know what we, we so I, one of us just alluded to a Christmas party and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm still looking for a place to do it. You're like, yeah, me too. It's like, well, I'm, we're closed on Sunday night. And like, and this particular day of the, of the year is really slow for us. It was Super Bowl Sunday. Right. I'm like, Hmm, you guys want to have echelon over at Midtown on a Sunday? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, yeah. And you want to come over to Mira on a, on a Super Bowl Sunday night? And we're like, sweet. And so we just did that. And it was awesome. Like, we had a really good time. I hope you had a good time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Ubering home and I ended up uh, not at my house. I ended up at a different 
place altogether near the Triangle Town Center because what? I put the wrong thing in my phone. And then I got mad at the Uber driver. I'm like, what? Where are you taking me? Like, I'm taking you where you told me to go. And I went, oh, oh shit. <laughs> and so then eventually I made it home. Yeah. But it was a good time nonetheless. It was. And, uh, and that just, I, I liked that, uh, I don't know, we, we didn't know each other. And then we just kind of made this verbal commitment and then kind of now we knew each other and then through all that stuff uh then you know i mean obviously i knew mira fairly well i'd eat there all the time because it was across the street from midtown grill right uh and i was there for so long and so it was just kind of everything just pulls in circles my um one of my servers is a dj and he would he would uh he would spin records at uh, the then Zinda, right? Oh yeah, he'd yeah. go there, and so we'd go there at times, and we listen to that, and then obviously we were at um, Sono, where uh, we referenced Mike Lee earlier, and you guys collaborated on that project yep. for a while, uh, and I think now uh, Zinda is now bare bones. Bare bones. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's you know things are always moving and cycling, but I like that. I mean, I've had that conversation with the owners of Midtown for a while, just just saying, you know, there's a tenure I think of of a business, and you know, unless you're the Angus Barn, sure. uh, which is going to it's going to outlast everybody, including roaches and the apocalypse. <laughs> They'll still be serving that steak. That's um, right. But most places, they have like they have a, a good groove, and then they kind of need to be repurposed. And then you know that's that's what this industry is about. We all want like new things and shiny shiny things to put in front of us. And restaurants are no different. It's like let's re up it or 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 keep it going. So so as now you're building these restaurants, um, how do you uh, how'd you game plan this? I mean, you had Mira, it's a sushi restaurant. Sure. Uh, I mean, maybe it's more than just that, but I mean, that's kind of like how I was viewing it. Um, and you start kind of expanding and opening up new places. What What was the mindset of doing that? Was this like uh, to fill new needs that you had in your own uh, <clears throat> life, life, your soul, <laughs> like what you wanted to express? So um, I think so. Um, you know, Mira came uh, and... It, it was such a blessing in disguise because I had no experience in restaurants. I've I've never. I mean, the closest working in restaurants was busting tables at Sweet Tomatoes. Yeah. Right. And nothing against Sweet Tomatoes. I think they do a great job, but it's a complete different caliber um, of a restaurant. Right. Um, yeah. So having the infrastructure already in place, having Mike Lee there to actually also help me kind of learn, and Jason Howard, um, who was a GM at that time learn the business mind you i'm 21 um when i when i have mira here so and i'm crazy. trying to figure out how to run this multi-million dollar business i'm yeah. like shit <laughs> you know um but um you know but we learned it and then that's how i i i, I love mike i mean he's an he's an amazing chef um but uh, that's how we partner up and did, did sono together but it wasn't like, okay, well, I, I need to do more, I need to do more. But I think it's just it's just natural progression. I mean, once you get into restaurant business, it will never leave your vein. I mean, yeah. it, it runs through it. I, I don't I don't think I'll never not be involved in F&B world. Yep. Never. Yeah. I just, just I, I don't think so. I, I don't know what I will do with myself because then everything else would be so boring. Well, you could start a podcast. That's fine. I'll, I'll be more than happy to come hold like, you know, shine lights or oh, well, nobody can see you. So, well, that's when a good start our YouTube channel. There, there you go. You. Yeah. No, but you, we have faces for radio, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Okay, so, um, I, I'm always trying to get that little nugget there about success. And I know when you came into Mira, I think the the idea was, I, th- I think your wife was really into sushi and you, you were like, I can oh. take sushi or leave it. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> 
there was there, <laughs> there was certain things that you did, and I'm wondering what those were that changed that your profits within like ten months. I think you made like five times the profit or some number yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, so again, I think the knowing what your market is like. Okay. Uh, I think that I was able to vision. I mean, obviously, they had the master plan for North Hills, right? And you have to believe it. And sometimes you position yourself to make sure you have enough runway. Right? Yeah. I think one of the biggest mistakes um, our industry faces is that we're not we're not allowing ourselves to have enough cash reserve, right? Okay. And then because things change. I mean, competitions come, market changes. I mean, there's so many things that we've weathered through in the last decade. But I mean, when, when we put up Mira, it was, I mean, it was at that time, even it was an amazing restaurant, but the market didn't demand white linen cloth and guys who opened up the doors with a top hat and white glove service because sure. granted those kind of places are out there, but the volume doesn't exist in those things. You have to have a lot higher, I guess, uh, Check average, Check average yeah. to do that. Sure. <clears throat> but, and kind of seeing that and being able to pivot and then also just being able to do guerrilla marketing. I think um, people forget how powerful that is. You know, I mean, I remember one one thing that I will never forget what I did is I took, I think, ten or $1,000 gift cards of $10 each. And I went to every single salon in the area, in Raleigh, and I gave out 10 to each of them. It's like, hey, here's here's for your client when they come in. Nice, and that's a great ROI because if your 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 costs are not a thousand dollars, it's if you if you're doing a thirty percent whatever, right. then it's like yeah, you, you just spent three hundred dollars on something. It's well, like, I mean, just imagine if I give you a gift to give to somebody else, and who's gonna gift me a, a more gratuity on the service I provided? Why wouldn't I just say right. be your biggest advocate, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and you know that ten dollars is at least worth for somebody to just to get in the door, have a drink at the bar, and then oh, that food looks good, that looks yep. good, and then by next That's thing you it. know, they're having a full meal, and then they're bringing their family back or their friends, and it goes from there. So I mean, we're I remember when we took our we were doing about 120, 130 in revenue, and we shot up. I mean, when we got to north of two hundred in a month, I'm like, yes, this right. is this That's working. It. You know, it's working. Yeah. Um, but again, it, there's a lot of elements. It wasn't just that one specific, right? I mean, just having a good team, having good service. I mean, as you guys know it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not just having amazing food is going to get you everybody through the door. Maybe once, right? It's not just having amazing service. So it's just a good balance. Um, we talk about have, it all the time. It's yeah. like you could have the best food in the world, but if you don't have the other elements of location, uh, obviously, and then <coughs> what we talk about that is like our ethos is the hospitality factor, right? Yep. People have to be felt like they're you like, like Danny Meyer always says it like your servers, your staff, they're on the guests side, right? You know, they want them to win. They want them to have that experience. Right. And if you don't have all those, then uh, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Max, I'm finally going to Asheville and I'm excited because I want to eat at all those great restaurants, but I really want to cut through the clutter and eat at local independent places. So where do I go? Oh, well, that's easy, man. Just download the Cure Eat app. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So if you download the Cure Eat app, you create a profile, and then you start following some of your friends and a bunch of different Cure Eaters. Uh, Cure Eaters can be chefs, restaurateurs. I happen to know one of the Cure Eaters in Asheville is Jonathan Fleer, the owner uh, of Rhubarb. And 
He's got this great list of about 20 different restaurants all in Asheville. You know what? I'll just text you the list. It's really simple. Through the app, you can text lists to your friends. Oh, awesome. And I'm sure Jonathan Fleer will definitely know the best restaurants. Oh, yeah. In Asheville, of course. So, like, I'm doing that same thing in Wilmington when I go out in a couple weeks. Uh, Dean Neff, the chef at Pinpoint, has this great list of restaurants all over Wilmington. Oh, nice. So what if I'm in somewhere, let's say New York, and I don't know who the curators are anymore, or I don't even know where I am? You can go to the map function, locate where you're standing in New York, and it'll pop up a bunch of great restaurants in that area. And what's even cooler about that is, say, a a local curator like Chidi Kumar, who's down here in North Carolina, has a great list of restaurants in New York. And so she can help you kind of pick out where you're going to eat that night. Nice. I'm going to do that. And then once I go to all these restaurants, I'm going to go and cure eat my own list. Nice. So download the app. It's in iTunes. It's free. It's the Cure Eat app. So now you're successful at Mira and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're putting some money in, in your pocket, which is, which is a rare thing for restaurants. Right. Uh, kiddingly that Mike Lee said that, you know, his, his new ventures, he wants to work on a nonprofit restaurant. And I said, dude, I've been working at nonprofit restaurants my whole life. <laughs> Haven't we all unofficially? So you had the, the, the rare situation where you're actually be able to put some money in the bank, which is cool. So then that, as any good entrepreneur, I think the way you look at it is whatever you can build from this business, you need to reinvest it into something else, right? Absolutely. So is that where, so what came next? What was the next? So, uh, I mean, a- after Mira, then came Sono, then came Oxford, then came, um, that's right, Oxford, then came, gosh, Cameron Grill, then came Zinda in between. Then uh, we had Ivy Trim nightclubs Then we had Dapper, then we had, what else did we have? I mean, I've, I've, I've yeah. lost track, but I mean, <laughs> we've done over a dozen concepts, you know, and we were fortunate enough to have our first setback setback. Um, I wouldn't say a failure because we, we tried da- our damned hardest, but fair was our, probably our biggest setback. Fair. But, you know, you learn so much from it. Like, what never to fucking do again? <laughs> you know? what, what, what are those things? Fair was um, in Cameron Village. Yeah. It was it, it, steak I mean, and seafood. Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, never listen to other people when you're the industry expert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um we know this business inside out and when you look at somebody else and, and again we talk about why do why does this industry have that setbacks or those uh, or failures just because individuals don't really understand what it takes to operate this just because you can cook good food or just because you think you have an amazing location just because you think you can interiorly design that doesn't allow you to just open up one place and uh, be successful it doesn't yeah. work that way and we allowed ourselves to be uh, misdirected, um, where we should have took two steps back and say, Hey, is this the right move? Instead of just, you know, drooling. Yeah. Right? Because we knew the location were right. We have camera bar and grill. We knew that how well that does for us. Uh, but the thing is that we put ourselves so much outside of the market from a price point perspective that you're like, Holy shit. I mean, that, that hit me. I mean, like a, it's, it's it was almost, a haymaker. It's almost as if <laughs> nice. Nice. It's almost as if Plug. you ignored your own advice for or what you had learned from Mura in terms of getting people in the door and right. ignoring that white tablecloth mentality. Yeah. Whereas, like, Fair was kind of a grand restaurant where right. you need a high check average and yep. all the et cetera that comes with that. Yep. And one would think, I mean, just thinking in that area, Cameron, Vig- Cameron Village is fairly well off. It's a, it's a good area. I mean, people have money to spend, so you might think, hey. 
let's throw some steaks down that are going to be sure. $35 or so and, and some lobster or whatever. And it's not a, I mean, it doesn't sound like a, a horrible idea. It sounds like a pretty good idea. It's just the market moves so quickly and mm-hmm. things are happening. Plus you had Tupelo Honey opening across the street. Yep. Yep. And that's the other thing. I mean, and you know, every time I go by there, I always see a line out the door uh, and they're a great concept coming from Asheville. I think that's where they originally started. Um, but uh, but it's just so weird, and sometimes it's like throwing a dart against a wall. You don't know what what's actually going to hit, and you know what's going to stick, what's going to go. <laughs> like really, everybody likes this. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with Sounds this. Sounds great. Yeah, but um, I, I'm curious how how much do uh, reviews in this area? Because obviously there was the indie indie week review of of fair, which wasn't very favorable. Right. Did, did, was that uh, a factor in in lack I, of success? I, th- I mean, again, it, it's. I wish you could quantify, mm-hmm. you know, or have actual MRI when you when you talk and speak on marketing and publications and Yelp and whatnot. But I do think that it does give you a peaks and valleys in business from it, and how you come out of that. Um, it, it's kind of up to you how, how you adapt to it right mm. i think that you know just like we have the honeymoon period i think you're going to have the honeymoon period but if you keep writing that if you keep writing that and then some individuals do an amazing job writing that and that's if all the elements are correct meaning your services that are awesome i mean your food's coming out consistently i think you can still write that but if it's just still peaks and valleys during that time then the honeymoon kind of goes away so going back to you know does a review help or hurt i guess a business i think it just depends on how you react to it mm. well it's interesting so i just was speaking with jeff sizer who's the chef at royale who's been a sh- on the show before and greg cox recently reviewed royale um it's funny that he wrote like the words he wrote were extremely positive and said everything was great uh and he got a three and a half star and it's like oh is that like, are we really awesome or are we good? And like, what's going on? <laughs> like, where are we going? But I was talking to him. I said, what, what happened after the review? He goes, oh, we got really busy. And I said, yeah. really? He's yeah. like, yeah. I go, so, so who cares if it's a three and a half star? Yeah. You got awareness and you, you're <laughs> slammed. Uh, and he told me, he's like, yeah, the one thing that I noticed more than anything was after the review, we got uh, a little older demographic, but they came in earlier. And so we were able to do two and sometimes three turns. Yeah. And you know that's the thing most restaurants are dying exactly. for. Exactly, that's 5:30, 6 o'clock seating. Yeah, like let's get that first turn in, get people in and out. And he, I mean, he was grabbing sandwiches at Standard. We we're having this conversation. He's like, "Yeah, man, we have a full boat tonight. It's Monday night. We've got like 95 on the books, and it's probably going to clear 120, uh, 120 people coming right. in, which is really busy for a Monday night in any yeah. restaurant." Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I think it does help in in many ways or hurt i guess if it's the other way i mean when scott crawford did the whole thing with indy and you know it, it uh you know did, he didn't want them to review his restaurant that created such a buzz around town right. everyone was talking about I it i gotta and, go now yeah <laughs> i gotta see what that guy won't serve them yeah. but, uh, the, the cool thing about the what happened with royale and jeff and i actually had the same conversation with him is have you guys seen the movie spanglish you know, yeah. where Adam Sandler's the chef. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the exact thing happens right where he has that review. And it wasn't, or and or he says, oh, I, I wish it was just three stars because that gives us room to grow and we won't get too crazy. And then we could still have enough room for walk-ins, you know? Right. So it's like, if the words are great and then the stars are just not there, it's like you, you've set the scene for a perfect, like somewhat meet level expectations and then you just blow them out of the water so it's really the ideal uh star number so okay so you uh you just 
cleverly just snuck in the word haymaker and i've had a few cocktails at haymaker yes, yes. i'd like to talk about some cocktails because we like drinking and we're matt and i are kind of from the uh, the beverage industry and you and i, I think have had a sip of cocktails together at once have, or twice at camera bar and grill that's right oh <laughs> and that was a great tequila that was dinner a good night yeah oh that was fantastic um so, so you opened Haymaker, and that's downtown right off of Fayetteville Street and kind of tucked in, almost kind of speakeasy-ish, if yes. you will, uh, in that new building um, that also shares uh, the living kitchen, I believe, right? That Correct. Living kitchen's in the same, same building right there. Uh, so what was the impetus of that, Haymaker? I mean, is cocktails it's just are just like sometimes, huge. you know, accidents happen, and they're like, holy shit, you accidentally created something really amazing. Right. Um, we had that so many happen to me enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had so many projects going on. That wasn't an accident. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> but um, uh, essentially, you know, we had the entire space, and uh, we just wanted to do something different. Uh, we wanted something really put our creative juices in there, um, and I wanted just a, an amazing bar that I could have drinks at and just have fun and just. Nothing against speakeasies or craft cocktail bars, but I think that you can create an amazing cocktail under five minutes yes. and get it to the individual. And it just drove me up the fucking wall. I was like, why am I waiting 15 minutes? for? Because I'm, I get thirsty really easy. I'm like, I have three glasses in front of me. Here. Yeah, they're all empty. You've already <laughs> yeah. gone through four glasses of wine right now. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. Um, so I was like, and we talked about it. I was like, we want to give, again, get balance of all the elements. You know, let's get that service. Let's get that drink. Let's give them some a cool place to hang out at. Yeah. I mean, and we know, I mean, we're really big on demographics, right? I mean, you talk about Raleigh. At that time, when we were talking about sex, 32 is, that was the largest demographic downtown. 32 years old? 32 year old. Wow. Right? I wonder that how was you get to that exact number. DRA. <laughs> <laughs> they told me. What's what's DRA? Uh, downtown Raleigh Alliance. Okay. Downtown. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I didn't go on a big mystical studies of uh, our demographics, but I remember <laughs> every, at, at all the time it came through, it was 32 was a median age, and then 75,000 was like the median income and salary for that. Really? For, mm-hmm. That's impressive. So I was like, okay, well, doing that, I was like, and that puts me like in that perfect category. So I'm like, all right, if you have that large demographic, what do I like to do? What do I want? Yeah. Right? Um, and where can we really hang out that, with that, that demographic and have some so we started talking about it and tossing our idea. And one of the best things, like, we have such an amazing team at our home office, you know, from Tara's, uh, Tara, oh, shit, Tara Owens. <laughs> oh, recently <laughs> so married. Recently married, yeah. It's Tara Owens and, uh, you know, who's our new CEO, um, who leads just, you know, amazing Weston Hill and all those guys. And Dustin, who's been the biggest part in developing the interior concept of mm-hmm. Haymaker and Barebones. Um, we believe in... Again, if you give somebody or put them in a sandbox that they thrive in, then they're just going to constantly keep building more and more. Yeah, one of your tenets of your company is, and you've said this, is it focuses on the importance of people. Yes. And very, very important to me. I mean, um, I'm a people person, and I think that's one of the reasons you, I naturally uh, embedded into this business. Right? right. It's such a people people business, right? Um, but I think giving individuals opportunity and allowing them to grow and giving them that, I guess, that ladder um, – which I was given at a, you know, when I first started, if you're able to give that in this industry, then it actually becomes a profession, just not, okay, I'm going to be in this for a little bit until I go find my real job. This, yeah. is, a, this is a real job. Yeah. You know, uh, we built this from this, being in this job, right? Um, so I think having that is really important. But going back to Haymaker, um, it, it, it's such a 
great concept. We love it. I mean, and also our offices for the new vodka that's coming up. It's right above it. So, oh, so we, we, we had done upstairs, then we come downstairs to That makes a lot of sense. Do market research. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, but even just to take that one step further, you know, uh, it really does seem like you guys focus on people and allowing them to express themselves because I know when I've gone into Haymaker from work and when you had Alex Flynn there, obviously, who's yeah. a very well-respected cocktail guy in this yep. town. So I'm sure he had something to do with it. And then I forget your other manager's name, but Josh, Josh. Yeah. When I went in there, um, one of the concepts was the next night it was like, oh man, you should come back on Monday night because we're just going to play the whole Fuji's album and yeah. like try to pair the, <laughs> the score and try to pair cocktails like that. And I'm a huge fan of that. I mean, that album came out when I was a freshman in college, so it brings back a lot of memories and stuff right. like that. But uh, but I just thought that was such a cool concept. And like, you know, I, I don't know if many other people are doing that, but it sure doesn't sound like it. Well, we want them to be creative, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, imagine if you gave Chef a menu here as a written menu. Go and cook it. Uh, yeah, you, you're not going to enjoy it. Where's the yeah. passion in that? That's called know? a cook, not a chef. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and that same thing applies. I mean, they put such creativity into creating these cocktails. We want to have that flexibility. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one of the drinks that's on the menu. And I found that too. And when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, did you guys just really just do this? This is so cool. Um, they call it Fabuloso. Right? Okay. So when, when Flynn was around... Flynn loves the cleaning detergent Fabuloso, which is purple and it <laughs> smells amazing. Sure. You know? <laughs> so, so people like certain things? Yeah. So I was like, you know, you'd clean the place. With, I'm like, and every time I walked in, it would smell so amazing. So they literally came up with a drink. And obviously, we don't use any cleaning detergent in there. Let's get that right. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, it's a purple drink. It's just, it's made with mezcal. It's a, it's amazing. But, I mean, you talk about the creativity. Something that's a, a name and the smell and the feeling it gave you, you, you have an outlet for that, right? Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah. Yeah, like listen, that. yeah, listen to your your feeling. If there's something that, like, that's the silliest part right now is we were all talking about Cholo names. Uh, my uh, <laughs> In fantasy football, my name is Sad Boy, right? And, like, I kid around about it. And so we were even, uh, we were having a few beers, and I said, uh, what, John Parra said, dude, you should do the Sad Boy voice on the podcast and just review food trucks. And I'm like, hey, it's Sad Boy. Sad Boy talking about enchiladas and tequila. Like that, and just do that the whole time. It's okay. I'm Bart Mexican. I'm allowed to. <laughs> Say right, that. You're allowed to say that. Yeah. But uh, then we were saying we should just make cocktails, and all of the cocktail names are just cholo names like li- <laughs> Little Tramposa, Spider, you know. Uh, <laughs> that would be like the food truck cocktail bar. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, because it's just something that we were into and we're talking about it so much, don't run away from it. Go to it. Like, right. let it be and like kind of marinate in that moment for a while because some fun or something unique or different might come out of it. Absolutely. Or just be kind of racially offensive. Just whatever it is. <laughs> right. One of the two. So, <laughs> no, But in what you're saying, it's exactly a creative process like this that you probably have in your offices or with people. And then those restaurants come to fr- or cocktail bars or whatever it may be come to fruition. And yeah. that's probably. I mean, a- we, we want them to be. And when we hire, we really want them to have the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, right? I mean that's. I mean, if you talk about where the root is, and if the root has that, every single branch that hangs off it should have some sort of it in there as well, right? You're not, you're not just putting somebody in there to be a body and to do what the job needs to be done. We want them to think creatively and act creatively and do what needs to take care of your guests that comes into our places. Yeah. Well, I I heard like kind of as the story goes, um, we, we we kind of quickly mentioned this vodka, but. Um, but I heard that the vodka that you you speak of, Social House Vodka, which will be coming out soon, was created by just a few guys kind of sitting around with like-minded thoughts and just saying, like, 
we should all kind of put our heads together and make this happen because we're all already we love drinking vodka. Yeah. <laughs> we like to drink and we like to make money. No, yeah. and we like to provide a, a product that maybe the the customer or like the community might not have right now. Sure. Um. So so. How is this coming together? So Social House is the new vodka. That's Social House Vodka is the new vodka. Um, you know, this has been out and works for about four years, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we have di- we used to have dinners once a month, and we still do once in a while with uh, Nal Hanley, with Samad Hajbi from Suel Alawar, and uh, Carrie Joshi, and we all just got together and literally left the, the scene behind and just shoot the shit and have fun and just talk about life. And uh, through those times, we're like, man, we should really do something that we can put our resources uh, and, and our, our our passion behind and develop something. Obviously, we're all doing restaurants, so well, that's not that's not it. Then we always found ourselves drinking martinis, especially Carrie and I, right? Um, <laughs> over the many many years, it's like, oh, it's like I really enjoy vodka. So then we started searching into it. So he started really leading and taking the charge on. Okay, well, let me start looking at some distilleries. So I mean, he's visited tens of 20s, 30s, I don't you know exactly how many, I think I want to say 70 to be precise, between cumulatively of all of them, Jeez. distilleries that we've looked at and visited, um, uh, international and national. Um, and from there, he kind of took charge and was like, I think this is something that's viable. I think it's doable. We're looking at where the beer industry's been. I think the spirits industry is next. And fun fact here, um, which we learned recently, is that North Carolina led the most distilleries before Prohibition. Hmm. And we so, just we just heard that before prohibition, uh, North Carolina was the the largest uh, grape growing grape growing wine wine producing state. Really, before prohibition. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, there's a so lot it's, going it's on. It's in our blood. Yeah, I mean, right. So we're like, well, why not take that and actually, you know, do what we can. So then we we, we were going through. We we're looking properties in Richmond. We we're looking at properties in South Carolina. Properties in North Carolina, and we ran into this amazing, beautiful power plant that the town of Kinson was going to demolish. And we're like. No, we're going to keep that. I mean, it's just amazing. So uh, our distilleries actually be based in Kinston. Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. Kinston has a lot of great things going yep. on right now. Yeah, of course. That's where the chef and the farmer is and the boiler room and Mother Earth beer, and they do liquor as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that is a booming town, East North Carolina. So it's kind of in between where you grew up, Moorhead City to Halfway Noah. home. Yeah, yeah. you're halfway <laughs> home. That's pretty cool. Um, and so the release date, we're, you'll be dropping this probably sometime in July, I want to say? Yep. Yeah. It's coming right around the corner here. Um, and then we also will be having our consumer launch event uh, in August, August 5th, to be precise. I better be invited. Um, it is, it's a big surprise. Uh, we, we look forward to having you there as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this, you know, this, we're so happy and proud of this product. Uh, we use, I mean, NC state has been a big integral part in helping us create this recipe, right? I mean, being in the food and beverage business and we don't want to, we want to put out a quality product, right? Yeah. I mean, you want to make sure you give that, a, that, that, the value, a consumer, the value to that consumer and that same principle applies when we're putting out spirit. I, we're not going to put out a, a shit vodka. I want to make sure that I can drink that on the rocks, if not neat. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of thought, a lot of process, and a lot of just research has gone into this. So we hired uh, professors uh, at NC State. We actually used their food sensory department. We, um, what do you call it, uh, measured and qual- qualified um, for 38 different vodkas to see what they're co- uh, composed of mm-hmm. to really see, okay, well, where do we want our vodka to fit? I mean, vodka is is as complex as wine, 
Right. I mean, if once you start getting yeah. into it, um, you can really, really tell the difference between um, the vodkas. And so using them, them kind of helping us deliver our recipe and also... Um, and North Carolina has such an amazing, it's such an amazing ag state. Yeah. So our corn, being able to get our corn from 10 miles from our, our, our facility, I mean, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Right. I mean, we are truly doing grain to glass. Yeah. Right. I mean, I not, think you call it farm to flask. Farm to flask, yeah. grain to glass. <laughs> we, we, we haven't been able to coin it yet because everybody, a lot of people are using it. But, um, you know, because a lot of the, a lot of the products um, out there, you know, we want to be truly authentic and truly a north carolina product yeah so everything is made here everything is from here so 100 percent of the corn is 100 that's that's cool that's yeah. very cool yeah um and so social house vodka that'll be released soon and then i have a question for you when you're drinking these martinis are you a dry guy or wet martini do you go olive do you go Gibson? Um, i, I, I like twist? to do i like to do uh martini my martini up okay with single olive slight dirty no vermouth slight dirty no vermouth yeah. okay Make make sure we get that next. Noted. Time. Yeah, stand I'll start working on it right now. Right. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I like I as as I'm getting older, I like a wetter martini as time goes on because I really love vermouth. I like the in, induction of vermouth and just kind of playing with it. And I think Para at Standard is like really pushing me into knowing more about vermouth. That that guy just surrounds himself around vermouth, vermouth all day long. Yeah. Like but it's DJ great, Steve King. Yeah, vermouths, all the but it's cool just to like. It, to, to play with it because that gives so much more element to your to your drink uh so in the style i guess like uh what were some of your um uh muses if you will like i, I was speaking we were speaking to uh, melissa and lee katrinsic over at durham distillery sure. and we were like okay with your gin where where should like because we're just on a podcast and you can't really your guests can't taste it unless they're right, sitting right, there right. with a little roadie uh in their hands but um I think they really were keen on Hendrix and uh, you know not being London dry but being more American. Uh, so, are there vodka styles that like you're closer to emulating? So, um, I mean, I, I can tell you what we've done and what kind of the outcomes were, right? Mm -hmm. So, obviously, we've done close to sixty blind tastes, right? And we've lined them up, and we lined it up against um, <clears throat> uh, Absolute, Covington, uh, Tito's, and us. And out of those four blind tape, uh, out of those four, when we lined those up, we only lost two. And one we lost because the gentleman doesn't drink. That's John Seal um, oh. at Local Icon. Yeah. Because, I mean, Covington has, has a great nose, right? Sure. I mean, so if you're going straight on nose, uh, that's that. And the other one was an individual who um, lived in Austin for a long time, and that's all he drank was Tito's. Tito's. So Tito's. he's just used to that, yeah. So he's used to that, and he kind of went to the profile. So, I mean, that being said, you know, usually one one we won, so to give you an indication, our, our, the winning would be Social House Vodka, then Tito's, then, I mean, and then kind of Covington um, and Absolute kind of split split. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, and... Uh, are you uh, what's the distribution going to be like with this is this are we going to start just in north carolina or we're we looking to yeah i mean so our, our goal i mean obviously we, we want to i mean i know the consumer is going to love it right i mean being drinking vodka for the last shit i don't know if i should be honest or not 10 10 years <laughs> since 12 a, years since a little boy in the, uh, <laughs> policy. since 14 10 uh, years old <laughs> Uh, but I mean, if we're drinking for vodka for such a, that's my, my drink of choice. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we drink vodka to be social. You can have vodka in the morning. You can have vodka in the afternoon. You can have vodka at night. Um, 
<laughs> I think there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> there is. Uh, there is. Uh, but, you know, the, we, we, the product, first and foremost, we're going to make sure uh, it is in uh, all outlets of North Carolina, including the restaurants and obviously ABC stores is going to be the main main the point of distribution. <laughs> no, I, I think, Diamond. yeah, I think it's, it's you know, we're actually happy um, the way we, our, our, our state is set up. I think it allows the, a lot of the guys who are smaller guys to come in and play with the bigger guys. Well, once you're in, you're in, but the, getting right. it in is the tough part. And then it has to sell a certain amount or else you get kicked out basically yeah, well, so, but. fortunately for us you know I, I think again having the right team and the yeah. right players um when you're building something like you know podcast i mean you guys have a good balance of uh, the expertise you guys bring and we did the same thing when we we're building this company so we make sure we want to bring the right set of expertise to play um and making sure somebody who understands how the abc works understands somebody who understands how sure. the restaurants work understand somebody where how the company should be structured and what is the best way to have longevity. So, I mean, all those components came in place. It wasn't just like, oh, let's make vodka. I mean, I, I think uh, one thing that I want to make sure to say that, I mean, it, it's taken a good amount of energy that's, that's gone into this. It's not just, okay, well, let's, we like drinking vodka. Let's make it. I mean, and same, <laughs> yeah. same philosophy. Like, just because you can cook an amazing dish doesn't allow you to open a restaurant. Exactly. Right. No, I, I like what you're doing because uh, we had Larry Larson, obviously, on the podcast that released uh, this current week. And a big part of our conversation was basically doing what you love and you'll never work a day in your life kind of right. thing. And uh, it's pretty obvious for you that you're really uh, finding your passions and then making those into your business and your career. So absolutely, I, I applaud that. Yeah, kind of... It, 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 from from growing up and doing, knowing about agriculture, then when you're in school, you learned a little bit about computers, and then you started doing clubs and promoting. It's like all of this stuff. It's almost like all the answers were all around you. It's like watching uh, M Night Shyamalan signs. It's like, <laughs> why is that daughter putting glasses of water all over the table? And you know why is it? Why did he learn how to swing a bat and all these things? It's like oh, it was to fight aliens at the very end. You know. <laughs> So just gave it away. I've never seen it signs. Thanks, Max. Yeah, sorry to sorry to blow a movie that came out twelve years ago. Yeah, well, yeah but listen, uh, is there? There's no statute of limitations on that. <laughs> but it's good. You you need to listen to the signs in your life. Like all these things are leading you to do this stuff. I mean, that's like kiddingly. That's what Matt and I said about with uh, the podcast. Is that I've known like audio engineering kind of because I've been a musician for a long part of my life and that aspect of my life is kind of eroded. I'm not really gigging anymore. I'm not, I'm not jamming in bands. Um, but I also learned a lot about, uh, wine and food and that's where how Matt and I got to know each other. And it just became a natural progression. It's like, Oh wait, I can recall to the, the expertise I learned in that technical sense to actually put this on and I, I can look at this pro tool screen and kind of know what I'm doing sometimes <laughs> and edit it and things like that. And, uh, and Matt, he's got the gift of the gab and you know, he's, he's a good researcher and, and that's, that stems from his sommelier, you know, knowledge and all that. And, and, you know, I love it. He, he digs up some dirt on people like a thirst for not only wine, but knowledge. No, there yeah. you go. Yeah, oh, yeah. fantastic. As we're sort of kind of wrapping up and concluding this, what, uh, you know, I'm just curious cause we didn't, finalized with echelon you know you're pretty successful obviously we talked about there's been some a lot of success a little failure along the way which we talked about you learned from um what's the future because in the past you said you wanted to grow this to like at least 16 units by now or something like that but with social house coming on i imagine that takes some of your time so again i think that um you know i i loved grooming and working with the team that we have in place 
and I have no doubt that the vision that uh, we casted years ago, uh, three, four years ago, will still come to fruition. Um, you know, and I think, but now the beauty of it is that I get to be the strategy and the vision behind it, not the implementer behind it as well. Mm-hmm. I think uh, now that I have Tara, Kyle, Weston, uh, Dustin, that, you know, they know exactly what our vision is because I think this is just not my company. This is going to be everybody's company and mm-hmm. they're going to see the growth that's going to happen and the energy. I mean, it, it's so great to see Dustin who's been able to design, you know, Haymaker and Bare Bones. To, that's, that's his baby. That's his product. That's his, that's his pride. And nobody's going to take that away from me, including me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we still foresee uh, Echelon growing. Um, I think this was a year where we had transition where Tara took on the new CEO role. So I want to make sure she's comfortable. This is the transition where Weston and Kyle, it's almost their mature, their one-year district manager role um, had, has allowed Dustin to really design and understand how new concepts work, how to retweet older concepts, and actually even uh, re-engineer. Like we're redoing Edwards Mill Bar and Grill right now. So um, him having all those, all those uh, experiences, I think it's going to allow – the, grow, the company to grow organically on its own and allow me to do what I do best is be an entrepreneur in different facets. Gotcha. That's awesome. fantastic. Well, uh, well, gee, thank you so much. It's been yeah. fantastic having you in here. Uh, a little shout out to uh, the lady in the corner, Jessica Banoff of the News and Observer has been here uh, the whole time, quiet as a church mouse. Doing yeah. news and observing. <laughs> She's observing. Um, but uh, thank you to her for coming on in. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing what comes out next uh, with Social House. I will be imbibing. Matt Absolutely. will be imbibing. And well, uh, and yeah, and so Matt, what would you like to well, offer? I did want to notice, mention a couple things before we get out of here. Uh, one is the uh, GL. I also want to commend you for a lot of charity work that you give back a lot to the community. Community. I think last year was some, or one of the years was over seventy-seven thousand uh, dollars. Tammy Lynn Center for Developmental Disease Disabilities, disabilities. Raleigh mm-hmm. City Farm, Interfaith Food Shuttle, and Band Together. Correct. Congratulations. And then on a personal note, uh, my family and I also run an organization called ASW Cares for Kids. Mm-hmm. You can go to aswcfk.org. Uh, donate. We're having our gala on June 2nd up in New York City. And we uh, do all types of projects, whether it's building facilities or programming to enhance the lives of chil- hospitalized children and their families. So please help out if you're so inclined on that. And other than that, uh, go to an Echelon Experience restaurant, drink Social House Vodka, then eat and drink merrily. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the NCF&B Podcast. And if you've stuck with us this long, review us on iTunes. And remember, five stars are encouraged.